you were here for a Bible class, we can't get through all of it. There, there's just too much. So we're hoping to scratch the, the tip of the iceberg, and then you guys can go home and, and uh, look more into it. There's, there's a wonderful, wonderful lessons and teachings that will transform our lives. You know, there was a study done, and uh, not that long ago, this, this was uh, 2021, it's uh, studyfinds.org, and it said in a recent survey of 2,000 U.S. residents, 75% believe they are fundamentally good people. Would you say you're a good person? Yep. I, every, 75% would say that they are. 46% believe they are better than everyone else that they know. Um, so almost one in every two people would say, you know what? When I look at the people I work with, when I look at my neighbors, um, I think I'm better than most of them, you know, that's, and uh, it's, it's kind of interesting as, as we think about that, um, there's, a, there's something called illusory superiority, social psychology, we'll call it that, it's, a, it's kind of a mental bias where all of us tend to overestimate our abilities, our intelligence, uh, I think I'm a better driver than most, and if you were to ask most people, then they would say, yeah, 75% of us say I'm a better driver than most. So that means everybody is a better driver than everybody, but then who's the average, right? So, so that's kind of what happens, right? Uh, I, I think I'm a little bit more intelligent when it, when it comes to uh, understanding how a football game should be played, or I understand a little bit better of how to to parent, or I think I'm a little bit better on how to educate. I think I'm a little, you know, we all have a little bit of a bias in how we view things and view people. Like, why did they do it that way? It should have been done like this. Uh, I, I've told some of you guys this story that I've never met, not, not to say anything, Ezekiel, but I've never met uh, an electrician or a plumber or a framer you know, that has never, when, I, when they come to my house to fix something, they'll be like, man, who did this the last time? They didn't know how to do this at all. <laughs> and then they fix it all up. They fix it up. And then the next time a different electrician comes, they're like, who did this? They didn't know what they were doing. You know, it's like each time everybody knows better than the other one, than, than the other person. So um, there's another one that uh, egocentrism it's, uh, again, that idea of the individual places greater importance and significance on their own abilities and characteristics and behaviors than others. We tend to believe that I'm better than my coworkers at what I do. I think I'm better in, in most things. Uh, that, that's just, we, we all tend to fall into that category. Now, there are others that uh, sway to the other side. Oh, I can never do anything. I am Eeyore, you know, that it's like a terrible, uh, life is horrible, I never do anything right, you know, type of thing. But most of us tend to, uh, to, to think pretty good of ourselves in some way. If you think about who are the toughest people to convert to the gospel, those who believe that they're better than most. If you were to ask most people, 75% would say, I'm a pretty good person. If you died today, do you think you would go to heaven? I think I'm a pretty good person. You know, I think I, I've lived a pretty decent life. 
And so this is how we tend to view ourselves. And, and those are the toughest people to, to convert because if I'm pretty good, then I, Jesus is just sort of like a little bit better than, than I am, you know, in reality, because I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, I don't really need a lot of help. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right here. Well, in Romans chapter 2, Paul is going to directly deal with Jews. He is specifically going to deal with Jews. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 17, but if you carry or bear the name Jew, so this section, verses 17 through 29, he is specifically dealing with Jews. And if you guys remember, in Romans, basically you had Jewish Christians, Jews who are raised up in the Jewish faith, but they converted to Christianity. And then you also had those who were raised as Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, didn't know anything about the Bible at all, but they were converted to Christianity. And now you have this church that's trying to come together, and there's some conflicts, there's some struggles here. And you can imagine a Jew that has been taught the Bible their entire life. They've known God their entire life. They've been taught a higher set of morals than the average Roman would have been. And so you can imagine them coming into this church and saying, I'm better than most of you. That would be very easy to do. That would be very easy to say that, we're pretty much better in, in who we are. So because we've been given the law and because we are of the circumcision, and we'll talk about that coming up. But let's, those are the two points that we're going to try to address this morning. And the point number one is the Jew that was trusting in the law. So they call this like the privileges. If you were raised as a Jew, think about it. One, you carried the name Jew, and they were known to be Yahweh's people. Yahweh, Jehovah, those were his people. They, they only believed in one God. You know, they were kind of a different folk. We, live, we believe in all these gods, lots of different gods, Zeus and Poseidon and, and Hades, and there's all these gods. You guys just believe in one. They relied on the law. So that was a great thing. That was a great thing that they had the Old Testament. They had the Torah. And they boasted in God. They said, we only serve Jehovah God. We only serve Yahweh. That's it. And they knew God's will because they had been given the Bible. They knew what he wanted. And they could approve the things that were essential or most important. They, they, could, they could decide those things. And they were confident that they were a guide to the blind. And you can look at many Old Testament scriptures that God said that you Jewish people are supposed to be a light to the world. You're, you're supposed to be a light to the world. So he says, you're to, you were to be a guide to the blind, and you think that. You're like, yeah, we are. Since we know God, we know his word, we know his will, we know what's right and wrong, then therefore we are to go out and be a guide to the blind. These Romans, they're blind. They're in the dark. We're supposed to be a light to those who are in darkness. Correct those who are foolish. And we are to be a teacher of the babes or immature. They're, they're babes in their thinking. You know, they're just ignorant, those, those Roman, 
guys, we, we really know what it's about because they have been given the knowledge and truth. So these are privileges. I mean, these are blessings that they were raised with. Therefore, they should have known better. They should have acted better. Yet, he says, they didn't. You see, this list right here, he, he said that uh, you, you knew all of these things. And look at verse uh, 20. He says that you're supposed to be a corrector to the foolish and a teacher of the immature. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Verse 21. You, therefore, you Jews who teach another person, do you teach yourself? You preach that one should not steal. But do you steal? You teach that you should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You teach that you should hate idols, but do you rob temples? See, these are questions that Paul is trying to help get the Jews to understand that they are not better than most. You see, when, when the Jew kind of believed themselves to be better than most of the Gentile Christians, the Roman Christians, it was creating friction. It was creating tension in the congregation. You see, that was, that was challenging. And so if the Jews were like, we're pretty good people, you know, and especially when it comes to you guys, you need to come to us to really know how this Christian thing is supposed to work. That would create some real friction. That would create some division. And so Paul is very specific. Again, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he uses three that, that would ultimately be in the Ten Commandments, right? These are Ten Commandments. These are, these are things that, uh, that he would say, don't steal, yet do you steal? And I think stealing is, is one of those, those areas that uh, everybody at some point has fallen into, and it's extremely easy to do. It's so easy. And I, I, I know I've given this example before, but... Um, you know, you can imagine when you work for a big company that, uh, that they have pencils and they have uh, staplers and they have screwdrivers and they have all kinds of things that you're just like, you know, they're not going to miss it. They're, they're, they're just big company, you know. They make so many billions of dollars and they don't pay me enough anyway. I, I, they're not going to miss it and I deserve this. It's a mentality that we have to be very cautious about that all of us can fall victim to. That, that Do you steal? Um, do, we, do, we, um, do we lie on our taxes so that we don't have to pay as much? You know, do we do, we do that? That's, that's stealing. You know, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, do I lie about my food stamps? You know, that, uh, that, do I lie about unemployment? Do I lie? We're stealing. You see, we, we steal. All of us struggle with this idea of just taking a little bit here and there. And for some of you that are like, man, I never steal. Here's one that might step on all of our toes. You are paid to do a certain job, especially per hour. And how many 
hours in the day do sometimes I not do exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm stealing time. You see, I'm supposed to be working at that time. And if I don't, then I am stealing from my boss as far as what I'm supposed to be doing. Are all of us guilty of stealing in some way? He's, Paul is trying to show these Jews, you teach others, you guys are a bunch of thieves, man. Look at how you steal from everybody. He goes, do you steal? Really? If you were to break it down, do you steal? What about do not commit adultery? Evan brought this up that, that we could say, oh, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never done that. But Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6 that, or Matthew chapter 5 that whoever lusts for a woman in his heart, right? Whoever lusts for a woman in his heart has already committed adultery. And so we, we get to this idea that, yes, we, we can start to do these things in my mind. You say that, how could these Romans worship all of these idols? The word abhor is something that is absolutely disgusting. It, it, it's rank. It is filthy. You know, it is something that, that absolutely disgusts you. The Jews, were, they're like, we abhor idols. It's disgusting to us. And yet he says, do you rob temples? So this is kind of interesting. There's different debates on what that, what that means. But uh, some people think that it goes back to Malachi chapter 3 where Jesus or uh, God tells the Jews, he says that uh, you guys have been robbing me. You guys have been robbing me. And they're like, God, how have we been robbing you? He said, I commanded you to give 10% and... You're not. I commanded you to give of your best uh, sheep or, or goat or whatever it is, and you're bringing me this blind one. You're bringing me the one that's sickly. You're like, oh, that one's about to die anyway, so I'm going to offer that to God, and I'll tell God that, that that's my sacrifice. He said, you're robbing. You're, you're robbing what belonged to him. So whatever the case may be, Paul is trying to convict these Jews that they are also in sin. That you have a tendency to look down at those really bad sinner Roman Christians and we're sort of elevated. And he's saying, mm, no, you are just as guilty. You are just as guilty as they are. You see, you're boasting in God's law, but when you break God's law, you dishonor him. You're saying, oh, look at how good God's law is, and we have it. And if it's so good, then why are you breaking it, is, is, is what Paul is saying. And you guys remember that they, the Jews would not even use Yahweh. They wouldn't even use Jehovah. They, they, wouldn't, they would not say his name. Because they didn't want to be in danger of blaspheming. They didn't want to be in danger of degrading his name. You see, they wouldn't even use his name. They're like, God's name is too holy. Don't even say it. And you know what Paul will say? You cause his holy name to be dragged through the mud by all these other people because of how you act. You guys are claiming to be all of that, and I see how you act. I see what you're doing, and so your God isn't that special. Your God isn't that great. 
You guys say that you have it all figured out, but yet I see you acting just as bad as us. And in fact, we're doing better than you are in many areas. He says, that is causing God's name to be dishonored. You're so cautious about not dishonoring his name by saying it, and yet in your actions, you're making it filthy. He'll, again, there's lots of Old Testament verses that we could go to that, that uh, he'll say that I'm trying to win these Gentiles over to me. I'm trying to convert these Gentiles over to me. And by your actions, you're saying, I don't want to be a part of that. You see, this is the danger that, that uh, these Jews had gotten into as they were trusting in the law. The second thing that they were trusting in was circumcision. Circumcision happened to the Jewish boys on the eighth day. They didn't even choose this for themselves, right? Like, how did you become a Jew? I was born a Jew. How did you guys become Navajo? I was born Navajo. You know, it's like you didn't choose it. You were just born that way. So they were, they were circumcised on the eighth day. So why are you so confident that that makes you a part of God's people? Just because you had this surgery done like that, that makes you saved? They didn't choose to be circumcised. They were born into it. Now, later, some people did choose to, to convert to Judaism, granted. But for the most part, as they grew up as children, they were taught. They had to choose to say, okay, this is your God. You're a Jew. This is your God. His words are written down right here in this book. You need to be studying them. You need to trust them, and you need to obey them. That, that, that was the goal, but that book and God's words has some limitations on it. It has some boundaries on it, and, and you're like, I'd rather live over here and just trust that I'm going to heaven because I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. Therefore, I'm going to heaven, you know, and it, it didn't matter if I trusted the word of God or obeyed the word of God. I'm, I'm saved. So they believed that they were right with God just because they were circumcised. And the Jews viewed the Gentiles that they were going to hell, that they were deserving of hell just because they were not circumcised. You see, it's, it was, racial is really what it was. It was racism. Is we're Jew and all of you guys are not. We are going to heaven and all all of you guys are not. Why? Based upon circumcision. Just, in, just because of whether you had this skin or not. That was it. You see, it's racism. It's, a, it's just a, something external that they were going off of. So Paul is going to make an argument. He says, okay, let, let's think about this. You see, we're in verse 25, if you guys are following along in your Bibles. I haven't been giving all the verses, but hopefully you guys are following along. So, in verse 25, he starts getting into these arguments. He said, okay, I'm talking to you Jews, I'm talking to you Jewish Christians. Let's think about this. He said, all right, if, if the Gentiles are practicing God's law, and if the Jews are breaking God's law, then really, who are the people of God? 
does the difference in skin make the person right with God? He's like, really think about this. What does God want? He's like, yes, that's the one true God, and he gave us a certain way of life. These guys over here, if they are actually practicing God's way, then doesn't that make them more like what God was intending a Jew to be? And if you, by being circumcised, are saying, I don't practice God's words at all, you're breaking them, then aren't you really more like the Gentiles? You see, this is the argument that he's trying to make. Argument number two, you Jews, you Jewish Christians, you agree that God should punish those sinful Gentiles for their actions. You agree with that. Okay, if Gentiles disobey God's law, won't he judge them? And a Jew would say, yes, you are to judge those sinful Gentiles. Okay, then if Jews disobey God's law, won't he judge them too? Isn't God going to be just to the Jew and to the Gentile? Like he shows no favoritism is ultimately what he's going to say. Does God care more about the external skin being cut off or the internal heart being circumcised? You see, which is it that God is more concerned about? You mean God, he's just going to look at a person's foreskin and be like, okay, they are definitely my people. That's why they're saved. Even though he said, yeah, that was part of the original agreement all the way back to Genesis. Yes. But what was, why was that sign given? Why was Abraham made a part of God's family because of his faith. You see, that's why he was so instrumental. And we'll get to chapter 4 that he's going to use Abraham as an example. Look at Abraham. It, it, it wasn't his circumcision that saved him. It was his faith. It was his obedient faith that saved him. He trusted God and obeyed God. When God said, I want you to leave Ur, he left. When he said, I want you to believe, I want you to trust that you're going to uh, have a child. That still required him to do something, right? Still required him to do something. So he had to trust God and obey. And then he said, I want you to sacrifice your only son. And Abraham believed God and was acting on that command. You see, this is, this is ultimately, Paul is trying to help get this through to the Jews. So what's the application for us today? Can we carry the name Christian or believer? I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Could we rely on the Bible? Could we boast in God that God is the one true God? Could we know God's will? Could we approve the things that are essential, confident that we are to be a guide to the blind, that we're supposed to be a light in the darkness? Could we say we're supposed to correct those who are foolish, a teacher to the immature, because we've been given the knowledge and the truth? But could we be the ones that are trusting in those things and not teaching ourselves? Can sometimes we fall victim to being very critical to others and not as critical to myself because I'm better than most. 
You know, as I compare myself, I'm like, I'm better than most. But really, am I struggling in my heart with anger, covetousness, bitterness, lust? Nobody sees that. Nobody sees the externals of you going out here and sleeping around. But you know what I'm doing in my mind? I'm doing that same thing. I'm not going out here beating up people or, or, or murdering somebody, but in my mind, I am just as angry as the person who actually picked up the, the knife or the, the club and beat the person to death. I'm just as guilty if I'm beating them in my mind. You see, so the point is, as Christians, we can sometimes feel like we are saved just because I carry the name Christian. You ask a lot of people, and they'll say, what are you? And they're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, or I'm a, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Presbyterian. You know, whatever name you want to attach to it, people will, will say, well, that's why I'm saved. Just because you name it. And, and you say, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Okay, but are you trusting in the Word of God? Are you actually trying to apply the Word of God? Because Evan this morning brought up the, the idea that as Christians, are we perfect? No, that's not what, that's not what Paul is going to be talking about at all. Nobody's perfect. All of us have sinned. But the point is, when we do sin, what does God's Word teach us? We repent. We confess those sins. God, I am struggling with this sin, and I repent. And Evan's definition was spot on, right? That it's not just being sorry for it. It's not just saying, I recognize that it's wrong. Yes, I turn away from that, but it leads me to an obedience of action to what's right. You see, that's, that's repentance, is I'm fighting to change that. You see, I'm doing whatever I can to say, I do not want that sin any longer. You see, I don't want it. And so I'm going to fight with everything that I've got to, to, to do what God wants me to do, to fill my head with whatever is good and right and pure and excellent and worthy of praise and, and, and all of these things. I'm going to do whatever I can to, to just fill and saturate my mind with, with those kinds of things. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to try to reconcile with that person or to find a way to forgive that person or at least not to be bitter with that person. I'm going to do whatever I can to, to not get caught up in stealing from work. I'm going to do whatever I can. You name it. There's, there's a change because I trust Jesus. I trust him. He's, he's been so good to me. Do we teach ourselves? You know, this morning we talked about our giving, where we're like, yeah, I give to God. If I go out to eat right after this, and I give more to McDonald's than I gave to the Lord, then am I really abhorring idols? You see, how, how, do, I, how do I view what, what I have? The danger is that we can easily believe that we're better than most. You know, I know those guys are definitely struggling right over there. You know, those guys, they're, I'm doing better than most. And so when it comes to the congregation, we ourselves as the church, 
sometimes we feel like I can be a little bit better or pull a little bit more weight or how things should be done or not done because I'm a little bit better. I'm doing this Christian thing a little bit better. But you know, we trust in our own goodness too many times that this, this, we can, our pride and our arrogance and Instead of this obedient faith towards Jesus, it's a humility that I'm not worthy of God's grace. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I never will be good enough. And it allows me to, to humble myself to you. And hopefully I can work with you in a much more patient and, and kind and gentler way. That I can show more love towards you because I know I have struggled with those sins too. I struggle with my own battles too. And now, hopefully, all of us are coming together in this way. Because the challenge is that we can start to, and not just us, but people we're trying to study with or trying to help come to know the truth, we can latch on to something that we think, well, that's what makes me saved. I pray all the time. So, therefore, I'm saved. Okay, does that, is that what God says, you know? So if I pray enough, then I get to go to heaven? Or people will be like, well, I was baptized. You know, I, I was sprinkled. You know, when I was eight years old, I was, I was baptized. And then the rest of their life, they're like, I can live however I want to live because I was baptized. Okay, that, that's not what God says, you see. But I can hold on to these things, and it makes me good enough. It makes me deserving, or, or like a Jew would say. I go to church. You know, I go to church, therefore, I'm better than most. Until we recognize our own sin and our complete lostness, then we won't need a Savior. Until you really recognize, I'm all messed up, I'm broken, I'm struggling with sin, I'm enslaved to sin. When I recognize that in myself, now, I am just turning to Jesus and saying, I need you. This person is broken and turning to Jesus and saying, I need you. And when I look over, I'll say, wow, they're hurting, they're struggling, they're weak too. And now we bond and now together we're trying to help each other to become more like Jesus. And there's no, I'm better, you're better, this attitude, this arrogance, this division, this schism, this. That's not what the church is about. But how do we get there? Humility, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul is going to do in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, is all of us need Jesus. And then you get to the solution in chapters 4, 5, 6. Oh, it's awesome. And then chapter 12, he's going to show us how to live in this humble life, in this life to, that honors and glorifies God. Do you trust him? Then never repay evil for evil. Do you trust him? Then associate with the lowly. You see, he's going to teach us how to live. He's going to teach us how to honor him and let the name of Jesus be glorified in our name. If you're not a Christian, then God has been so patient with us. If you are not a Christian and you're saying, I know I'm a sinner, I know that I need saving, 
then that's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to convict us and saying, I need Jesus. And he's going to teach us. He's going to say, we're no better than anybody else. We're all guilty and we need him. But the humility unites us. The good news is the gospel. Do you, need, do you trust Jesus? Are you willing to repent, turn away, and start living for him? Are you willing to confess him that he is my new king? Whatever he tells me, that's what I want to do. If you're ready, then he says, okay, you need to die to your old selves, Romans chapter 6. Die, and then you're resurrected to a new life. Then you live for him the rest of your life. You belong to him. Is there anything that you need to repent of? Is there anything that you need to make right today? If there is, right now, let's do it. We've got a song of invitation. And if it's convenient, would you please stand as together we sing.